Hey, it's Tom Matthews from Return of the Living Dead and Friday the 13th, Part 6, to name a few. And you're listening to the Bean Joe Grizzly Podcast. Enjoy. I'm Mean Joe Grizzly, and when I'm not researching half-human, half-Atlantean mutants and ancient, technologically advanced nations in Africa, I'm hanging out in a grizzly cave, watching movies, reading comments, listening to metal, and of course, crushing beers. And with Namor the Submariner making his on-screen debut in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I thought it would be a good time to crack open the grizzly guide and go over his history and origin. Also, I want to talk about my predictions and the direction the film will take the MCU by analyzing events that take place in the comics, as well as the blood feud between Atlantis and Wakanda. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone to please like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Also, follow the show on all social media platforms so you can get updates on upcoming episodes, geek news, discussions, cool videos, and interact with yours truly. So follow me on Instagram and TikTok at the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast, at Mean Joe Grizz Pod on Twitter, like the official Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast Facebook page, and last but certainly not least, join my Mean Militia on the show's official Facebook group, the Mean Joe Grizzly Mean Militia. I look forward to interacting with y'all and talking about all forms of badassery. So let's open up the Grizzly Guide and get started with the history and origin of Namor the Submariner. Now make no mistake about it, Namor the Submariner is a legacy character at Marvel. There's, he is so important to marvel comics as a whole and in fact he was like the first he was the first character in the first comic they ever published marvel comics um he is an asshole though (laughs) there's no other way around it the guy's a dick and you're gonna see a little bit of that throughout this origin story and everything he's he just he's just all about himself and it clearly shows throughout his history but enough of that let's actually get into it so no more the submariner made his official first appearance in marvel comics number one in october of 1939 and he was created by writer and artist bill everett and everett actually created a character earlier and originally featured him in a magazine called motion picture funnies weekly but it was never published and Everett claimed 
to have created a character to be the polar opposite to Carl Burgos's recently created Human Torch as a play on like the concept of fire and water and also his interest in anything aquatic or nautical played into the creation of Namor and Everett also claimed to have come up with the name of Namor after pondering over a noble sounding name and writing them all down and eventually writing some of them backwards and eventually seeing the name Roman written backwards as Namor and thinking that it looked the best. And Everett would describe his character as a powerful man of the deep who lives on land and in the sea and flies in the air and has the strength of a thousand surface men. And that's exactly what what he was and in his first appearance he would present himself as a villain an angry avenging Atlantean that would attack American ships unprovoked and he even began to attack people on land I think he attacked a few lighthouses like just just dickish stuff for no reason and he eventually attempted to sink Manhattan which would bring him into direct conflict with the human torch Jim Hammond now I mentioned in my very first episode when I was talking about Vision and how he was created, and I mentioned Jim Hammond, the Human Torch. Jim Hammond is also a legacy character in Marvel, and he was the original Human Torch, not Johnny Storm. And Jim Hammond is essentially a android or a robot that can essentially do all the things that the Human Torch can do. But the motives that Namor has against surface dwellers come by his beliefs that they only poison pollute and destroy so he would attack every chance he could but as the 40s began namor would see the rise of the nazis in germany and would eventually go on to fight alongside the allies against hitler and the axis powers now during the war he would he would form arguably the first superhero team in Marvel Comics. Not the first superhero team in comics period, but the first in Marvel Comics. And that's the Invaders, which consisted of Captain America, Bucky Barnes, Namor, and the Human Torch, Jim Hammond. And at that team, they would fight Nazis and their offshoot Hydra throughout the remainder of the war. But ultimately, Namor would often ally himself to whatever side would benefit his agenda or his kingdom. He is essentially Marvel's first anti-hero, teaming up with heroes such as the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, or the Defenders one day, and then the next moment siding with the villains such as Doctor Doom or Thanos. This trait would become a constant in his character, and that is still it still holds steady today. And moving on to the 1960s, Marvel would make a bold retcon of Namor's character, dubbing him Marvel's first mutant. Now, we all know, of course, that this would be retconned later, since the characters like Apocalypse would predate Namor by thousands of years, canonically. But at the time, Namor was Marvel's first mutant. And honestly... He couldn't care less about being a mutant, despite his relentless recruitment from Magneto of the Brotherhood of Mutants to Professor X of the X-Men, he just didn't care. Namor would also start forming a very close relationship, quote, with 
the Fantastic Four, especially with Sue Storm, aka the Invisible Woman, who Namor constantly tried to sleep with. And it, I could be wrong, but they may have at some point. So here's the other thing to, to think about too. For a little while there, Namor's character between like the 40s and the 60s, he was kind of not there. Like they, they just didn't write stories about him. And I can't actually remember why there was like a little brief period where he wasn't there. But the way that they kind of brought him back was he had lost his memory and he was like living in New York. And Johnny Storm of the Fantastic Four, the human torch of the Fantastic Four, found Namor wandering around New York somewhere like a homeless person or something or another like that. And he knew it was Namor, but Namor couldn't remember. Something happened where he lost his memories. So Johnny Storm picked him up and dropped him in the river and thinking that the water would like restore his memories and like jumpstart his brain. And it did. And it's funny because how does, how does Namor re repay the Fantastic Four for helping him regain his memories? He tries to sleep with Reed's wife. So again, Namor has always been a dick. <laughs> He's always been that guy. And the thing is, is that that's just a part of his character. And in a lot of ways, and we'll be talking about this later, him and T'Challa, as far as their philosophy on their people, as well as like someone like Aquaman from DC, their policy on their people and the way that they feel about their people and their kingdom is a humongous part of the character, and they're all very similar in that right. But what are Namor's true origins? Well, that wouldn't come until about 1988 when the writers Roy and Dan Thomas and artist Rich Buckler brought us a more fleshed out origin in the form of a 12 issue miniseries called Saga of the Submariner. His origins told through his own words will begin with the origin of Atlantis itself. Thousands of years ago, Atlantis was an unexpected casualty of the war between the Celestials and Deviants. Now, if you remember on my episode of The Eternals, I was talking about the, I believe it was the second host, where the Celestials came back to check on their experiments that they had played, that they had performed on Earth, where you had the Eternals, the Deviants, and the humans, and the Deviants rebelled. And when they did, the Celestials said, nope, and sank the continent of Lumeria and Atlantis got caught up in this in this like conflict now this next part of his origin has been retconned more recently but for the sake of this of this episode we will stick with this one just so we can avoid confusion now 10,000 years later after Atlantis was sunk a new species of humankind had appeared and settled in the ruins of the sunken city. They were known as Homo Mermanus, an amphibious humanoid with blue skin and gills, and according to Namor, legend has it they were bestowed gills and the ability to flourish underwater by the god Neptune himself. Now, the tribe of Homo Mermanus was led by a youthful ruler who was one day visited in a dream by Camus the last king of the surface empire of Atlantis. The dream had such an impact that the ruler would adopt the name of Camus and begin the restoration of Atlantis. Now, 500 some odd years later, the empire would wax and wane over the years 
and some groups would leave and start their own empires like a group that started the empire new lemuria where that group would take a completely different appearance and customs after obtaining an artifact called the serpent crown and while others would also adopt other appearances and customs depending on the circumstances but atlantis itself would flourish until one day barbarians from a tribe called Skarka launched an all-out attack and although they were repelled the city laid in ruins the king Emanu died in a battle and his son prince the vowed to lead his people to a new and better land far away from atlantis this prince was Namor's grandfather. Uh, he would migrate his people to the sea beneath the southern polar ice caps where they would establish the empire and maintain peace and security for close to a hundred years until the arrival of an American scavenging ship called the Oracle, led by Captain Leonard Mackenzie. So Mackenzie and his men were in search of like this evidence of this ancient race, uh, one of his crew members was like obsessed with it and claimed that it would be like the fight of the century and all that. And I believe years later it was retconned that they were looking for precious metals like vibranium and stuff like that. Uh, I haven't really found any evidence to really clear that up. It's kind of, it, this is what they did. No, this is what they did. It's one of those weird things in comics. But regardless, the way that they were breaking the ice so that they can continue on their journey was they were blowing up the ice with dynamite. And little did they know that every time that they they were blowing up these chunks of ice, they were raining it down on the city beneath the sea. And in the midst of all the chaos, King Thakor sent his daughter Princess Finn to investigate. Or he actually sent her to form a team to go investigate. He didn't necessarily want her to go. But turns out Finn's very rebellious and does what she wants. So she went to their scientists and their scientists gave her this elixir that she can take that will allow her to breathe under, breathe out of water for an extended period of time. And she took enough of this elixir to last like days. She took their entire supply and she went up to the surface. She boarded the ship and was captured immediately. And immediately Mackenzie and her kind of have this connection and they start hitting it off and Mackenzie teaches her how to read and write. And this happens over an unnamed amount of time, but they eventually grow fond of each other and eventually start falling in love. Well, the Atlanteans weren't just gonna sit back and let their princess get captured. And they sent out a strike team and they took Princess Finn back and supposedly killed Captain McKenzie. Now, he ended up not dying and the ship just scurried off is what it's tail between its legs as quick as it could because the Atlanteans just ran shop on this whole crew and killed a bunch of them and stuff. So they got the hell out of there. Princess Finn would go back to her normal life and continue her life thinking that McKenzie was dead but then sometime later she would give birth to the avenging son namor spawn of two worlds yet fated to belong fully to none and then the miniseries like starts talking about like namor's namor's life growing up in atlantis 
and how differently everyone treated him because everybody else is blue skinned and all that and can't breathe on the surface without this special elixir whereas namor is light-skinned just like we are and can do everything better than everybody like he's like the peak and the perfect example of a great atlantean being to the point that he's stronger than everybody he swims faster than everybody everything he does everything better and yet everyone dislikes him because he's different the miniseries also just kind of goes over and fleshes out more of his first like confrontations with different characters and stuff like the one the one good thing that they do is they they kind of flesh out what his mutation is so if you're not familiar with namor and i'm sure you've seen in the trailers for wakanda forever namor's got these little wings on his ankles that's his mutation that allows him to fly and i don't think that he can actually fly like super fast like superman but it does give him the ability of flight and that is his mutation and it turns out that logan mckenzie obviously had the x gene so he passed it on to namor and here we are the ties to how namor is quote the first mutant or how namor is a mutant so the story would also follow like how he first came into contact with surface dwellers where him and some other atlanteans were kind of ransacking this old like boat that was sunk like an old ship like an old cargo ship and they were they were raiding it for all the supplies and the, and the equipment and stuff on it and he left he left his knife that was given to him by his grandfather i believe so he went back to go get his knife and found it that it wasn't there but in that moment an american export i'm taking this an exploration exploration ship uh two divers like the the old school bathysphere divers like with the big the big goofy helmets with the air hoses hanging down descended into the water to look and explore this ship and namor thought that they were robots or some kind of he called them automatons he's like oh the surface dweller sent down their automatons to attack us and he went and cut both the lines thinking that they were like the power supply to these quote robots and unknowingly killed two men for no reason and he i believe he also stabbed them too like he's like, oh they they're leaking like this strange fluid that looks like my blood uh that's what powers them these are horrific creations blah 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 and then when he takes them back to the king and lays their bodies before him and they open up boom there's two men in there and at first he kind of has like this little shock but he's immediately whipped back into the mood by his his grandfather where he sends him to new york to find the source of of this quote attack on atlantis and that's how every that's how his adventures began and namor would go he would go through a good ordeal of stuff throughout his comic book publication history one of the one of the notable things is that he's constantly at at odds with an atlantean known as atuma and i think atuma is going to be in black panther wakanda forever he is a traditional atlantean with the blue skin and the gills and stuff and he is 
he's more of a warlord. He just wants to rule Atlantis and all the all the other tribes with a like iron fist, and he wants to constantly destroy the surface world. He's kind of like he's kind of like how Namor would be if Namor just went full blown dick instead of okay, this minute I'm gonna be a good guy, next minute I'm gonna be a bad guy. Like he is Namor, that's just an asshole all the time, 24 seven. Uh, the other notable thing about about Namor is is if you remember in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness when we were introduced to this group known as the Illuminati so just like I said in that episode if you want to go back and check that episode out go ahead I have a lot of information in there about it because some of that is going to tie into this so when the Illuminati was formed in the comics Namor was part of the Illuminati he was like one of the core members and of during the whole events of the incursions in Jonathan Hitman's Avengers and New Avengers, they got to a point where they couldn't avoid the incursions anymore, and the only way to stop an incursion and the world being destroyed was to destroy the opposite Earth that was blending with the other one. So Reed and a couple of other members created these antimatter bombs that would just uh, obliterate a planet almost instantly and namor had no qualms about doing it he's like nope we'll go ahead we'll just we'll just kill worlds constantly that's that's how we survive if that's how my kingdom survives and how we survive we'll kill everybody it doesn't matter and that put him at odds with the illuminati and eventually he would leave and take up with some people that felt the same way as he did and that's when he joined Thanos's cabal and actually started blowing up worlds and stuff but we'll get to that in a second just Namor is he's always had an important role but a background role and hopefully this movie is going to give him some more traction where I do believe he has a monthly book but I hope that that this gives him a little bit more traction so he can become popular on the same level as like Aquaman because right now Aquaman is a way more like a way more recognizable character and people know who Aquaman is Namor is going to be brand spanking new to I would go as far as to say about 90 85 to 90% of moviegoers who don't read comics like comic nerds like me do <laughs> So, but before we, we wrap up this episode, I want to talk about some of Namor's powers and abilities. He is, he has a plethora of abilities and it's kind of, it's kind of impressive how, how much they gave him. And, and this is the time period, this is the time period when they were legitimately just giving people powers on the fly like this in this time period especially this time period and the silver age the time period after this characters like superman just got powers on the fly and namor they kind of just they kind of gave him all these things out out the gate so he's got aquatic adaptation obviously so he can pretty much swim in any type of water anywhere uh, he has superhuman strength, speed, durability, agility, senses, and reflexes. He has flight via the wings on his ankles. 
uh, he has an extended longevity, so he is going to age much, 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 much slower than most people. He's fireproof. He's bulletproof. He has hydrokinesis where he can control the water through various, various abilities like Atlantean magic and stuff like that. He also has echolocation like most marine life do. And he could even like with this Atlantean magics, he could even deliver electroshocks and stuff like, like electric eels do. And he can control marine life, just like Aquaman. And it's important to note that Namor does predate Aquaman. Uh, I'm a bigger Aquaman fan than I am a Namor fan, but regardless, he predates Aquaman and their origin stories are very, very similar. I don't know if you noticed that, but he's a very powerful character. He's fought, he's fought characters like the thing and the Hulk and he's put them on their ass. He's, he is a formidable opponent to anybody. And again, he's a, he's an anti-hero as well. He will kill. He will kill if he has to, especially in the name of his people. And if it fits his agenda. So Namor is not really a good guy, but he's not really a bad guy. He is somewhere in between, but this wishy-washy behavior would bring him into conflict with a lot of people and a lot of countries, particularly Wakanda. And that was the thing when this movie got announced and that Namor got announced as the bad guy that I was struggling really hard to figure out how the hell they were going to do it. Because if you're tying Namor to Wakanda or Namor and Atlantis to Wakanda, which in the movie, they're not calling it Atlantis for copyright reasons or whatnot. But if you're going to have Namor and, and quote Atlantis going against Wakanda in my head, it doesn't work without T'Challa. Now, obviously Chadwick Boseman passed and he is not going to be reprising his role as T'Challa. T'Challa is obviously going to be passing in the movie universe as well in some way, shape or form. And I heard that so far with other reviews, I heard that they did it very respectfully, which I'm, I'm thankful for, but the blood feud between Atlantis and Wakanda and especially Namor and T'Challa is freaking amazing. And all this stuff, this stuff was like stuff that periodically happened in events that happened throughout several different stories. But the main, the main like tipping point for all of it was during the events, during the events of Avengers versus X-Men. Now there was a, there was a story, like I said, Avengers versus X-Men where the Phoenix force was coming back. And the Avengers were trying to take the host of the Phoenix Force, which at the time was going to be Hope Summers. And that's a character that I cannot really get too much into or I'm going to completely lose y'all if y'all don't follow comics. But all you need to know is that she is a girl from the future and she is essentially part of the Summers family. Summers being Cyclops, Scott Summers, 
his brother Havoc and his other brother Vulcan. But that's we're just going to leave it at that. But she was going to be the new host of the Phoenix Force. And at the time, the events that I spoke about in my very first episode, The House of M, when Wanda Maximoff said no more mutants, she reduced the mutant population to like 198 or something like that. So at the time, Cyclops and the rest of the X-Men were jumping at a chance for Hope Summers to become the host of the Phoenix because they felt like it would help give them validity and give them the means to repopulate the mutant race. And they were desperately trying to get Hope ready to be that Phoenix, that host for the Phoenix Force. Well, Tony Stark and Captain America and a lot of the Avengers, they were like, last time the Phoenix came down and took a host, they took Jean Grey. And they're referring to the Dark Phoenix saga where Jean Grey just went ham on everybody. She got, she got, became the host of the Phoenix and the power either became corrupted by her or the power corrupted her. That's always been something that they've went back and forth on. But she became essentially one of the most powerful beings in the universe. And that's the thing about the Phoenix Force. The Phoenix Force is one of the most powerful entities in the multiverse. And there's only one Phoenix Force in the entire multiverse. The Phoenix Force is the the collective consciousness of everything that has been and ever will be. And that, that power is insurmountable at times. So long story short, the Avengers are like, no, we're not going to let the Phoenix come back and take a host so they can become this crazy person that goes around power drunk destroying things and planets and empires and all that so it brings them into conflict with the x-men and eventually what would happen is is the phoenix force would make its way to earth and in an attempt to stop it iron man created this device and really this armor and when he engaged the phoenix force he shattered the phoenix force quote into like five parts and five pieces of the Phoenix Force went into host and it went into what they called the Phoenix Five, which was Cyclops, Emma Frost, Colossus, his sister Magic, and Namor the Submariner. And at this point, the Avengers have no chance against the X-Men or the Phoenix Five. So they're running like little excursions here and there. And this eventually brings Namor to Wakanda. And they are they are hiding members of the Avengers there. And this big fight breaks out. And a bunch of Avengers jump on Namor. Namor bodies all of them. Like all of them are freaking getting their ass kicked by Namor. And in a fit of rage and desperation to get the, find these members of the Avengers... He sinks the city of Wakanda and kills millions of people. So that right there is what started the big conflict between Namor and... So eventually everything would kind of come to a head in the next kind of big event. After Avengers vs. X-Men, you had the situations with the incursions that would happen in Jonathan Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers. And the Illuminati were trying to stop these incursions or 
prevent these incursions without anybody else knowing just them they were the only ones that knew and they didn't want nobody to know because they thought it would cause like mass panic and everything little did they know they were alienating everybody around them that run in comics is probably one of the best runs ever and like i said i talk a little bit about it in my doctor strange in the multiverse of madness episode but that conflict or blood feud between namor and t'challa kind of comes to a head in in that storyline where the illuminati were going around trying to prevent these planets and from colliding and these incursions from happening and they successfully did it a few times and then they got down to a point where they were desperate and that is when they created these antimatter bombs that would just destroy the entire world and nobody wanted to pull the trigger and nobody wanted to do the dirty work and then namor did namor destroyed an entire planet to save ours and although that sounds like noble and the thing that you probably should do if you don't want your entire planet to get erased from existence it really put everybody at odds with each other and including between t'challa and namor the big fight breaks out they they kind of smack each other around a little bit and in all reality namor t'challa should never beat namor namor's got T'Challa's got all the feats and everything with his with his, you know, arsenal of weapons made from vibranium to his armor, to him having the powers as the Black Panther, and he's it's it's not enough to beat Namor, and yet, at the end of Jonathan Hickman's run, at the end of that, well, at the end of the story, where all these incursions are happening, there comes a point where. Namor leaves the Illuminati and forms a group that he dubs the Cabal. And that's Namor, Thanos, members that are left from his Black Order, and a couple of ones like Terax, and there's the whole Black Swan girl that comes from the other world that I talked about in that, last, that other episode. They all band together and they just go around killing worlds destroying worlds whether it be with an antimatter bomb or just by killing everybody on the planet and namor actually bites off more than he can chew and he doesn't he doesn't really want to just do it just to kill because that's what thanos and the whole the rest of the cabal are doing it they were doing it just for the thrill of the kill they didn't really care about their own existence or saving anything they just wanted to they were taking this opportunity to massacre all these people in these doomed worlds and namor actually reached out to a lot of people and they all turned their backs on them including dr doom dr doom was just pissed off that he waited till the last minute to ask doom for help like it was a it was completely below doom for to help him after he had like you know begged him to help him after he should have came to him first <laughs> it's it's a pretty good moment but long story short there's this moment where all these little situations are happening and shiri at this time shiri is and this could be spoilers for Wakanda Forever, which I think everybody's probably figured it out by now. But at this point, Shuri is the Black Panther and she's the leader of Wakanda. And T'Challa is 
what they call the King of the Dead. And that's something that they cannot do in the movie out of respect for Chadwick Boseman. But him being the King of the Dead is really cool. He got bestowed that by the Panther God Bast. And it's pretty cool. It lets him communicate with all of his ancestors anytime, anywhere. He doesn't really have to go to the astral plane. He can do it at any time. And it also allows him to legitimately control the dead. It's pretty cool. He doesn't really use it that much. He uses it one time in a story called Secret Wars, but we won't get into all that. That's coming later on. All that's coming down the line if, they, if they're going in a direction that I believe they're going in. Anyway, Shiri, there's a situation going in Wakanda where she tells T'Challa to move on and hands him this ceremonial dagger that is used in all the Black Panther rituals and stuff. And she tells him, put it where it belongs. So what ends up happening is, is that T'Challa and Black Bolt know that Thanos and the Cabal are on this Dune world and they're about to blow it up with an antimatter bomb. And they know that, that Namor is down there. So T'Challa approaches Namor and tells him, I got something for you. And Namor's like, you really think that that knife is going to kill me? And he buries it in Namor's chest. And it's freaking awesome. And Namor's like, this isn't enough to stop me. Blah, blah, blah. He pulls the knife out. And he's like, I know. So he, he then steps out of the way and Black Bolt screams. And for those of you who don't know about Black Bolt, he's got a hypersonic screen. He sucks. He's not a, he always gets his ass kicked, as you've seen in Multiverse of Madness. But he uses his quasi-sonic screen to push Namor off of this platform and onto the surface of this doomed world that's about to be destroyed. And T'Challa gets his revenge and leaves Namor to die on that doomed world. Now, Namor would escape and end up in the whole Secret War story. But T'Challa got his revenge. And to my knowledge, the feud never really kind of ends. It kind of just is there. So it's very interesting how they're going to do this movie without T'Challa and without that event where namor just becomes publicly to be number one of wakanda and he is completely irredeemable because of the atrocities he committed against wakanda and i think that the whole premise of the movie that's the of wakanda forever is that the wakandans have like an oil rig where they're drilling in the territory of namor and his people and that's where the conflict comes in it leads to this big huge fight and blah 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 so we'll see what happens but it's going to be interesting to see how they do this without t'challa i got a couple of other theories that i think is going to be happening here i think they're going to introduce dr doom and i think that he is going to be the actual big bad of the movie and he's going to be pulling the strings the cool thing about dr doom is is his relationship with wakanda as well dr doom at one point he funded and, and backed a political uprising in Wakanda to have Shiri and T'Challa and that family overthrown and this whole other political group to be to take charge. All of that was a ruse for him to find a way 
to break into Wakanda's vibranium vault because he wants vibranium because a lot of people don't know this about Dr. Doom unless you read comments. Dr. Doom is not just this mad scientist that has all this technology and this armor and all this that gives him all this power. Dr. Doom is a sorcerer and he combines sorcery and technology to become as powerful as he can. And vibranium amplifies sorcery and magic. So that's why he wants to get his hands on it. So that whole that whole situation could be what's going on here really we're not going to know just like when i can sit here and make predictions all night on this and make this episode two three hours long of me predicting stuff but i thought it would be really cool if they if this is the way that they introduce victor von doom that would be really awesome so i'm looking forward to seeing how they're gonna how they're going to approach this now that t'challa is no longer a character, at least to our knowledge, he's no longer a character in Chadwick Boseman has moved on. So we'll see what happens. I just don't want this to be a big goof fest. I want them to really take this seriously. And it looks like that they are. It looks like there is gonna be some comic relief, but my God, please Disney, don't let this be like Thor Love and Thunder. I can't take any more of that or She-Hulk. Can't take any of that and know the She-Hulk review is never coming because I'm probably never going to finish it. I don't give a damn if Daredevil's in it. I cannot watch that silly shit anymore. <laughs> There's, I just, I can't get past it. And what they've done to the Hulk, I've seen screenshots. Can't do it. Can't do what they can't. I, I can't do it, guys. If that's, if you like it, that's cool. It's not my thing. I think that 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 whole part of Marvel has completely nosedived and ruined a lot of good opportunities for this franchise but i won't get on that rant i'm just gonna leave that alone everybody knows how i feel about that if you listen to listen to the show before so i'm hoping that they you know pay chadwick bozeman some respect and and all the all the praise that he deserves because he's he was he was such a great actor and he he really did embody the character of T'Challa perfectly. So it's going to be it's probably going to be a emotional roller coaster of a send off for that character. Don't know how they're going to do it, but I am very interested. So I look forward to it. But before I leave, if you want to read any of these stories, read Jonathan Hitman's Avengers and New Avengers. Black Panther Doom War, Saga of the Submariner, Avengers vs. X-Men, Infinity, and if you really want to get ahead and see what's coming on down the road that they've already announced, read Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars. That's, that, that is epic. And actually, you should read Jonathan Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers along with Infinity, and that leads directly into secret wars so i definitely recommend reading all those so check those out and with that we're going to bring this episode to an end thank you all so much for y'all's continued support and patience without y'all the show is not possible i want to give a shout out to carl casey at white by audio his music is amazing and is what i use as my background music throughout each episode as well as the music that i use for my intro and outro tracks so check out his music at white by audio on spotify apple music and youtube also don't forget 
to like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and also follow the show on all social media platforms and more importantly join my mean militia by joining the official facebook group the mean joe grizzly mean militia plan on seeing the black panther wakanda forever review probably on monday if i get that earlier than that i'm going to but more than likely it's going to be monday so stay tuned for that but remember until next time i'm joe grizzly bitch